A surprisingly large amount of people don't know about Norwegian butter mines. It's a whole thing. So there's all different kinds of economies going on around the planet, or as Eddie, Eddie Izzard says it, you know, there are other countries, right? Uh, when he's talking to Americans. Uh, and, and therefore, you've really got to, like, examine the economic strengths and weaknesses of other models. And Norway is a very interesting country. Because Norway is Scandinavian, just like, just like uh, Sweden and, and Denmark, and they've got a very similar economy. But they're also basing it off different uh, economic productivity. They've got a huge glut of oil, for instance, that the other countries don't have, even Iceland. Uh, that the other Nordic countries, a lot of European countries don't have. They've just a huge glut of Norwegian oil, and a large amount of that oil is used for taxes and infrastructure, and they get to charge more for that kind of thing. They, Norway, the country of Norway, about 10 years ago, decided uh, we're going to just take a large amount of this oil revenue, this oil tax money that we all make, uh, and we're just going to set it aside, and we're going to help electric car makers electrify Norway. And Norway's the most electrified electric car maker in the world because of that transition. But they did it because of oil money. They had that oil money. But even with all that oil money, even with the largest sovereign wealth fund in the world, Norway has that per capita, our largest sovereign wealth fund in the world. Very impressive. Even with all these great structures and these great incentives and the average education of the worker, you can still, in a country like Norway, run out of basic necessities and there can be hell to pay. This is a true story about the great... Norwegian butter shortage of 2014. The entire country of Norway was, in fact, running out of butter. And the worst part of it is the bigger cities were the hardest hit. You see, a lot of countries in eastern Norway are right on the border of Sweden. And so lots of Norwegians would tiptoe over the border and bring back contraband. Typically, the contraband that Norwegians bring back on their snow machines, that's absolutely true, there were snow machines running butter, you can look it up, feel free, is alcohol. The first question that you get if you are to arrive in Norway and meet up with somebody is not, how was your flight? It's not, how are you doing? It's not any of those questions. You can get those questions if you go to Norway. You just have to go by plane, or you just have to go by boat or train or foot. If you walk into Norway and you say, hello, I just walked across the border illegally, they'll say, hello. How was your trip? Did you see anything? It was nice. However, if you arrive via plane in Norway, there is only one first question, and that is, did you buy all the booze that you could? This is the only question that you can ask in Norway if somebody has just gone through an airport in which all of the alcohol is duty-free in a country in which the alcohol tax can often be higher, no joke, than the amount of alcohol itself. Sometimes a bottle of alcohol that costs 25 United States dollars can literally cost 60, 75 dollars there. That's quite a markup. And... The other thing about this is so many Norwegians were saving so much money at buying alcohol through customs, some of them were flying to Sweden or Denmark and flying back in the 70s and 80s just to save some money on the drinks. And so the country of Norway in the 70s and 80s introduced a point system. And so what you don't actually get asked when you arrive at an airport in Norway by a Norwegian is, have you bought all the alcohol you can? 
is, have you spent your points? You get something like 500 points when you arrive in Norway at an airport, like a black fucking mirror episode. And then should you wish to buy a 750 milliliter bottle of booze, that'll be like 150 points. It costs money, too. You don't. You also get money, but you can like you can look at the bottles all you want. You can bring a hundred bottles up to the register, but the Norwegian running it will say, depending on which of eight Norwegian accents they have, <laughs> will say, "I don't. Uh, that's too many points. Uh, you may you you may not know about the point system. Uh, very sorry." And so. Should you go into Norway, fly in, you shall see lots of people doing a kind of Tetris, something between a, a, a middle to high school level algebra and Tetris in their minds as they cross their arms and they look at the selections of boozes in the open airport marts as they're trying to figure out how to get as close as possible to 500 points so that they don't hate every fucking swig of every drink that they're about to take. Well, Jägermeister's only 75 points this week for some reason. <laughs> but I hate it. <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I don't know who to call. And so the first question you ask is, how did you spend your points? Did you spend all your points? You spent all your points, right? Points are transferable. This is why the question is asked. They're desperate. Desperate for chocolate liqueur that costs less than their rent. This is the setup for Norway and what happens when a well-meaning economy tries to, tries to measure and create a certain amount of limit, a, a buyer amount, a rationing, if you will. So that's the 70s and 80s that brings us to today, or to 2014, our story today. Norway thought to itself around 2010 that trans fats, they just, they gotta go, baby. A lot of countries thought this in the mid to late 2000s. America used to actually give a shit about this. This was actually a huge fight in America. McDonald's changed its fryer fat and three fucking dumbass white fat ads assholes pretended they could tell the difference. And it was a whole thing for a year and a half. You haven't heard anything about this in a decade. You haven't heard anybody say, McDonald's fries were better a decade ago. You haven't heard anybody say that because everyone's forgotten. But it's true. This was this huge fight about a decade ago. Somebody, some researcher at an HO, a WHO conference went, hey, trans fats are bad for everybody. And everybody went, they are? And everybody went screaming and went home and tried to change their policies. And the doctor at the WHO organization was very confused because he was just reading the same report that they've been reading for the last 30 years. But I guess this time everybody took it fucking seriously. Oh, wow. Okay. Shit. I guess, I guess they were right. You just have to keep trying. So everybody went home and they tried to ban trans fats in their own way. New York City, especially, or New York State, especially in America, went crazy. It banned all kinds of shit. They had just successfully won the war on MSG by invading literally 25,000 Chinese bistros in New York City alone and destroying every last container. So they were, they were high on some, wow, nobody gave a fuck about that joke. All right, fine. 
Somebody at home, I hope you laughed. They were riding high on the victory over the MSG win, and so they went nuts, New York State especially. And they said, we're going to ban, and we're going to marginalize, and we're going to increase taxes on every kind of trans fat, and we're also going to look at the supply chain. We're also going to look at everything that leads to trans fats. And Norway said, oh, that is very cute. I have the sophisticated Norwegian accent of it. <sighs> yes, even though it is very bad for you, I still smoke. And yes, I am the health minister of Norway. So Norway decided, well, we're just going to go fucking crazy on this situation. And we're going to directly involve the state of Norway in the purchase of all butter sounds. That's right. The country of Norway and you get in between your grilled cheese each and every last time you want to have it. Now, that's not actually that big of a surprise. In America, you actually cannot buy alcohol from somebody that makes alcohol. It's illegal to buy alcohol from somebody who makes alcohol anywhere in America. It's illegal to buy a car from anybody who makes a car anywhere in America. There are laws that demand that there is a third-party dealership in which the manufacturer has to send their product that is then open to the public. There are no direct alcohol or car sales to an individual person in America. And so what America decided to do, this is all because of prohibition in the alcohol system in the 1930s, is they decided to open up what they call a three-tier system. Tier one, the alcohol producer makes alcohol. Tier two, a semi-government or government-related agency buys and stores the alcohol. And then that tier two sells it to tier three, a commercial interest that has a license that then vends it to the public. But the government is always there in every alcohol sale in every single American drink. And the same was true for Norwegian butter and trans fats. Butter in Norway has a lot higher fat percentage than America by law. You take your average American stick of butter, it's going to be about 50, maybe 60% fat. You go to Norway, it's going to be 80 to 85% fat. Average steak of butter can be much, much fattier up there, so it was a bit bigger of a deal. And they decided that in addition to all these regulations, hey, it's got to be at least 75% fat. And hey, you got to treat your cow at least this well. And hey, you got to do this as well. They also set up a, we're going to see about all this butter, and we're not going to let too many small towns in the eastern part of our country have too much butter, right? Once you've centralized butter shipments, you can delegate it. And you can say, oh, what the fuck? What the hell is happening here? All these fucking rural towns are eating three times as much fucking butter as our big city dwellers. Quote, unquote, big city. Quote, unquote, big city. They're eating three. These fucking hicks. These fucking hicks with their fucking butter. Jesus Christ. No wonder they're all dying of heart attacks fucking 10 years earlier than our metropolitan people. We're going to ship a third less butter to these fucking cities. Are you kidding me? We know how much butter you need. We have the information. We're urban dwellers. I agree with this. We will send one third as much butter. And with this, we will send a message. Well, Norway is just like every other country in the world. And that is the, the people living in it don't give a shit about it. 
just be real. Like, I know there's somebody out there from right now who's like, no, I'm from the UK and I just hate everything. And you shut up. You know that you're the exception. You know that that's true. And you know that even if you're like from the UK and you're reading about Boris Johnson and shit, you're not reading about, oh my, you, you can't tell me the difference between the marginal tax rate on a London skyscraper developer 2010 to 2019. You don't know the difference between the two. I don't believe you. No one pays attention to the logistics of their country. No one gives a shit. And so nobody was expecting less better to come. Nobody cared. Nobody was expecting less butter to come. And when less butter came, I don't know what anybody was expecting to happen. When when butter trucks showed up and they say, hey, man, this is all you're getting, brah. Brah, this is all you're getting. Take it or leave it. It's a drug deal in my mind. And the Norwegian's wearing shades. He's also like, his name's like Esteban, even though he's fully Norwegian. Because every drug deal is a Latino guy in American media for the last 15 years. They're all named Hector and Esteban. You know it's true. Every single drug, every single drug deal in American media is a Latino guy anymore. They very rarely have much hair on their head. They never have a naked chin. Let's just face facts about that. So in my mind, that's the guy who's shown up with the butter. And they're all like, take it or leave it, bro. Take it or leave it. So these little Norwegian mom and pop stores, these little distributors, what else are they going to do? They take the butter. They put it out. And when people start asking in their Norwegian way, because they do, what's up with the butter? Doesn't look like there's as much butter here. They said the truth. They said the stupid Norwegian truth. They said, this is all the butter we're getting. The government said this is all the butter we're getting. We're not getting any more. Well, they didn't, they didn't ration the butter at that level. You understand, rationing has occurred at a higher level than the distribution, and then the distributors didn't ration. <laughs> so, rationing happened, <laughs> right? Less came in because of rationing, and that was declared, hey, this is all that's coming in from now on. And so the first people to find this out took butter home. They took extra butter home. And the stores quickly, quickly, quickly ran out of butter. And soon there was an entire butter economy just in total darkness. Snowblowers going across the eastern border into Sweden, into small towns. Gentlemen with rap sheets in Norway. We're talking some of the hardest harmed criminals in Norway's. Criminals with two, three, four crimes committed. In their criminal history, we're talking some bad, bad Norwegians here, all right? Going across the border, securing cheap, easy Swedish butter, taking it back home. All for that easy, easy money. Picking up some booze while they're there, why not? It actually got so bad in a couple of Swedish towns that they ran out of butter. This is absolutely true. A couple of Western border Swedish towns actually ran out of fucking butter. And so the government of Sweden had to get involved. The government of Sweden had to call the government of Norway and say, listen up here, motherfuckers. 
We did a whole thing about a hundred years ago, so we wouldn't have to ever see any of you fucking ugly pieces of shit creeping over our fucking border, stealing our goddamn fucking butter, alright? If anybody is going to go over the eastern border and steal their neighbor's cheap alcohol and bring it back home, it's gonna be Sweden, asshole. We're gonna do it to Finland. So you fucking get back in your goddamn place. <laughs> oh, Scandinavian jokes are running heavy tonight. So one other ass tidbit before we get right into reading. <laughs> Sorry that this was such a delay. I said we're gonna run a tight show tonight. I lied. All right, deal with it. This is absolutely true. Sweden cannot wait to import other people's bullshit. That's the other thing you need to know about Sweden. They cannot wait to import other people's bullshit. You got trash? Sweden can't wait to import your trash for a little bit of money. It's absolutely true. Look it up. You've got criminals? You got criminals? Sweden cannot wait to put them in a fucking jail. Just a little bit of extra money on top. Sweden's, you got, you got extra Yugoslavian prisoners? Let's do it, baby. Let's go. Sweden cannot wait to take and incinerate your extra trash, recycle your extra recyclables, uh, yada, yada. There's a whole series of industries in Sweden. It's because of a government program that allows people to become government contractors uh, for other governments and for Sweden. It's a whole beautiful thing. Brings in money from other countries, brings in money for Sweden, gives Sweden extra jobs. They have extra money lying around. But the downside of this contractor, let's import things, let's export things, is, of course, it does actually bring, this is no joke, it does actually bring organized crime. The more that you're shipping valuable things in and out of your country without people watching them, the more organized crime comes in. Now, no one's getting, like, capped or anything. It ain't the Sopranos or nothing. But it is an organized, like, the more value of transit you have in an area, the more likely someone's to skim. And the more likely someone to skim is, the more likely two skimmers are likely to hook up in a back room and be like, hey, you're skimming, and I'm skimming. And that's all it takes to be an org. That's all it takes. That's all it takes to be a criminal conspiracy. Everybody wants to make it the wire, but it really just could be two assholes in a break room going, hey, hey, you, uh, you want to steal two? <laughs> that's a criminal conspiracy. <laughs> that's all it takes. So Sweden's got this whole, like, logistic network thing of people becoming contractors, and that leads to a downshift effect. If I'm an electrician, right, and I want an apprentice to do work that I don't want to do as an electrician anymore, I want an electrician business, and the apprentice has the job between manufacturing or electrical work, I'm going to get a pretty good apprentice. I'm going to do pretty good. I'm going to, there's a good talent pool. But when you're running this kind of, let's make everybody their own boss and they can start taking in money from other countries and they can kick that up, the talent pool goes down. And so the country of Sweden had a problem. They had too many people who wanted to work as contractors and too few who wanted to work as employees and started to work up and started to get more and more unruly. Uh, this is before, of course, the Syrian humanitarian crisis, so it didn't make as big of a news. But there was lots of, of complaints, and there were lots of people on the street, lots of young, unruly men talking about, we need jobs, we want these jobs, and there's just not enough of them to go around. 
Well, the country of Sweden is nothing but efficient. And so what they did is they just invited all of these people to a protest. Because in Sweden, they all came, right? Oh, it's a we're protesting against the government. And the government invites you like, oh, sure. That's not how it would work here. It's not how it works in America. Ah, we hate you. We invite you to come and speak before us. Fuck you. Ah. But they just invited all the people who were complaining to come and protest together at once. And everyone's like, sure. That makes sense. And they got all of the protesters onto buses. And then, in the middle of the night, they shipped them all over the western border into Norway and took them to a northern camp in the frozen tundra filled with dairy cows. And to this day, a single Norwegian health minister smoking a cigarette and the red cherry that he casts is all that these slave laborers can see as they make the most precious resource Norway has found yet. Oil runs out, you see, but cows, cows are forever. Okay, so all of that was serious until the very end there. All of that was serious about the butter supply and all the rest, but uh, obviously the last part wasn't true. The rest of it's all true. Uh, the government had to back off. They started importing extra butter. They did open an extra butter municipitarian or whatever they call it in Norwegian uh, to get the extra milk in. And so they produced extra butter and extra butter went out and they changed the policy. Uh, it was for one summer. It did really last. And it was either 2014 or 2015. There really was a butter shortage. They really did raid over the, over the border into Western Sweden. They really did take several, uh, butter supplies down. It wasn't that big of a deal. They just got more butter because they were Sweden. Uh, everything was true until the end there. Uh, and I just think it's one of the funniest things that's ever come about in my life was reading all about these Norwegians literally losing their fucking minds, literally losing their fucking minds over not having butter. Like there were such letters to the editor you've ever seen. It felt so normal to be inspected, looked at, examined, explored, interrogated. Why does the perceptually depraved brain play such tricks? Still firing off, cleaning up after the sopping wetness of the clouds with a snuffed-out candle wick, the spider can't be frightened into a jar. Imagine remembering anything about those years other than the pure sensation. Could the tree do it? The stump of fallen nourished for centuries by its surroundings? After some time, I learned to pay attention to ah and oh, and hey. Body demanding a toll when another eventually wanted to enter. At last, to guess instead of knowing, saying now when the feeling came strongest, how I miss the future. But it's always sideways surrender. I have since only rarely seen the tree. It puts into my ears the sound of all the people living without me, the dark oaks of the dining room, every knife buried amongst the airport car park, letterboxes where they should have been a lake. Imagine if afterwards everything can be pure sensation, sugar-fed and alive in its dismantling. 
As If to Misread Song by Lottie L.S. And I guess we have a classic here. I didn't see us pop up this one or else I would have started with it. <clears throat> Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though, as for the passing there, had worn them round the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sign somewhere ages and ages, hence two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. <clears throat> Amber husk, fluted with gold, fruit on the sand marked with rich grain, treasure spilled near the shrub pines to bleach on the boulders. Your stalk has caught root among wet pebbles and drift flung by the sea and grated shells and split conch shells, beautiful, widespread, fire upon leaf, what meadow yields so fragrant a leaf as your bright leaf? Sea Poppies by H. Lee <clears throat> Off the crows from the roof, the crows can't hold on. They might as well be perched on olive oil slick. Such an awkward dance, these gentlemen in their spotted black coats. Such a tipsy dance. As if they didn't know where they were. Such a humorous dance. As if they try to set things right as the wind reduces them. Such a sorrowful dance. How embarrassing is love when it goes wrong in front of everyone. Crows in a Strong Wind by Coriolanus Edie. Got a couple of written pieces, and then we'll get into the smut today. Uh, let's get a tip link up. Everybody who tips in every mount is greatly appreciated. Thank it. Thank you for it very, very much. Moving right along because I've booked myself for multiple shows this weekend. I wasn't able to get to last night's show. I had a power outage. And uh, this is, I guess, the best place to talk about this uh, real quick here before we move on into the next segment. Um, victory against shame and anxiety. I was 100% convinced when the power went out last night that you guys would all be convinced that I was faking it. I was 100% convinced. As soon as it happened, because it happened 
less than an hour before the show. I knew in my heart, I knew it, that nobody was going to believe that it was actually happening, even though it actually was. And it's too late once you have a thought in your head to not feel it. Once something like that enters your mind, if it's something that you're weak to, if it's something that you're paranoid about, it doesn't go out, not very easy. We all have thoughts like that in our heads. I don't particularly latch on to the some of the same fears that I think other people do, if I understand them correctly. A lot of other people have thoughts in their heads like, I'll never find love. No one will ever love me. They have that story or something like that in their head. I personally find that story a bit funny. I don't mean to be insensitive because it's so common. And I do, especially when it's a beautiful woman, especially when it's a beautiful young woman, and she says something like that to me, I do have to stop from smiling or laughing in the exact same way that somebody may have to stop from smiling or laughing if a crying eight-year-old told them they would never eat something as delicious again after they were denied the last cookie. But the emotions that somebody is feeling when they're feeling them, the intensity of them, it matters much to them. It doesn't matter what the actual quote-unquote reality is. Not to them, not to their body, not to their feeling, not to their emotional state. What they're feeling is true. Even if it isn't. It is true. And so there's no reason to argue against the parenthetical truth coursing through their body. And the same was true for me last night. I knew it was true. And so instead of trying to argue with it, or instead of trying to debate it, or instead of feeling it as intensely as it could, I did my best every single time to simply take a step back, take a deep breath, and let it flow out of my lungs, like it was heat, like it was electricity. And I did my best to focus on what I could control. A part of me still thinks that nobody here believes me. Even if you all said you did, and I would ask you not to if you're here live right now. A part of me really believes that. Because beliefs are not born in reason. Beliefs are not based on evidence, not good evidence. Beliefs are beliefs. They're stories that you tell yourself before something happens, and then after the event, the belief comes bubbling back to the surface. Even if you haven't thought of it in a while, even if you haven't thought of it in some time, there it is again. The story, because of the confirmation of the story, or the reminder of the story. My story is, you don't believe me. You don't find me worthy. You don't believe me when I'm telling the truth, and when I tell the same kind of self-aggrandizing or shame-defying lie as anybody else, you count it more against me. And not only will you count it more against me, but you will ostracize me and you will kick me out. Of the Grey Knight, of your city, of your town, that's my story. That's my burden. That's my paranoia. That's my, that's my doubt. When I promise something and I don't deliver it, that is the message that starts to play in the back of my head. That is, I imagine for many of you, pretty funny. 
The number one comment that I get on a daily basis from Anons is, it must be so great being you and having all of these women just crazy for you. That's, that comment can't keep coming in if it wasn't true from the person speaking it perspective, right? And so somebody who would send that comment in, or if you've ever thought something like that, you, you must find this confession to some degree frustrating, amusing, difficult. You don't understand how I can think that about myself. In just the same way that if you were to say to me, I don't know if I'm going to find love, I don't know if I'm smart enough, I don't know if I... I would smile and say people do it every day. People less equipped than you do it every day. So I think you can do it. <laughs> but that doesn't help either of us. Here's the good news. Power was out for 10 hours. And... The first hour was pretty rough. First hour was putting on clothes because I was all prepared to just kind of be comfortable and ready to, you know, do my show. I was in show mode. So I was putting on clothes to go outside and to investigate and to check out and to get into my email on my phone and to all the rest, right? Panic, uh, solution-oriented, find out what the problem is, that sort of thing. And that's when, that's when the voice is, is, is running the loudest. The drumbeat and the panic. Shortly after that, I just had to tell Allie, like Allie, you know, just being logistically based and still being on the server, she had to ask questions like, when do we call it? Should we call it at this point? What do we do? And answering those questions stinks. But you got to answer those questions. you got to answer those questions as soon as you're capable of doing it, right? And as soon as I answered those questions, as soon as I got in that mindset of, this is still happening, right? It's not happening to me. This is happening to everybody. This is an event, and it's happening to everyone. And it does not matter what they think. It doesn't matter if they believe me or not. It doesn't matter if my worst fear is true or not. And this is pretty much my worst fear. My worst fear is me going, hey, guys, I'm ready, and setting everything up and talking about it and then not being able to commit to it. It's pretty much my worst fear about myself. Uh, it doesn't matter. If everybody believes it, or nobody believes it, including you, because it is. And it wouldn't really matter if you were lying, and the power didn't really go out, and you were faking it for some stupid psychotic reason. That also wouldn't really matter, because think of how little you would give a shit if some stand-up comedian that you went to go and see got too coked out before they came on stage, and the EMTs had to go back stage and kind of sort of revive them and the show was canceled and somehow you got to witness all this and you've never told anybody about that stand-up comic or what their name is and you never will but you did witness it it's fucking crazy right that's a fucking true story and nobody gives a fucking shit nobody nobody really cares if this is all fake or if this is a psychotic break or if i'm crazy i know that and I know that that's super heavy, but hear me out, because I'm going to land this plane, hopefully. <clears throat> because that's all the story in my head. Because people make mistakes and they fuck up every single day. And the world just keeps on a spinning. So it's all really just the story that is or isn't in someone's head. And what matters is what they do with it.
What matters is what you show, is who you are, is the content of your character continually repeated. And that's how I, and that's how I had to really approach it because it was a bad moment. It was a bad night, not going to lie. Last night was a bad night. Signing myself for a weekend of work and not being able to go into the first part of it and not being able to go into the first part of it right after I hyped it up. That's a bad evening for me. Not being able to eat dinner, bad evening for me. <laughs> dinner of pretzels and chips and salsa, not fun for me. Not, not enjoyable. Putting myself to sleep early, not, I haven't done that in a long time. So I'm just leveling with you, right? Uh, but after we called the show, and after I had this little, it doesn't matter if it's real or not, it doesn't matter if you're psychotic or not, yada, yada, yada. It doesn't matter if they believe you or not. Just show up tomorrow and rock it out. After I had that conversation, I really, truly began to de-escalate. It truly began to trickle into me and relieve me that the story that I was telling myself about myself and what anybody else thought of me did not matter. And I wanted, to, I wanted to underscore that because I know that that's not the advice that you guys always get, especially as women. Women get different mental health advice than men. Shouldn't be, but it is. And I'm not here to judge or quantify it, but I am here to say that it happens. And the advice that it seems to me that women get doesn't come from that perspective very often. So here it is, for real and for true. I know you have a story in your head right now about why you're not good enough, or you don't deserve it, or why you do deserve the bad things happening to you, or, 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 or. I don't know you, but I do know you have that story in your head because every person I've ever met, healthy or unhealthy, or well or not well, mentally, had it. We all do. It's, it's part of us, I think. But I took such pride last night, such pride, and such patience, and I... And I got to unwind from such a maelstrom just by digging into the fact that I had no control. That I had been doing well, that I had gained things in my life, that I had displayed my character very well recently, and I had no control. I couldn't help how any of you viewed me then or now. I really can't. I can't change any of your minds on what happened or not. And law of large numbers, there's got to be some people rolling their eyes at me and not believing me. And I can't help that. But what I can help is focusing on it. What I can help is not letting those people drive me fucking insane. When I was writing this, somebody wrote kind of a shitty comment uh, for the recorders at the beginning of this. And they, like, I'm, like I'm, you can hear me, I'm bearing my heart. And somebody wrote kind of a shitty comment where they know I can read it while I'm doing this in real time. I don't have the ability to make them not do that, to think it, to act it, to say it, right? I don't. I mean, I technically could because this is my house. But fuck you, get out of here. I can do that. I've done that before. It feels pretty good. I'm not going to lie. It feels pretty good for like, I don't know, one to three hours, and then it wears off. I don't have any control over if somebody thinks or says something nasty, even, even if they came from far away to come to my house on the internet to say it. But I do have total control over the reaction. I do have total control over after the thought enters my head. 
after I say to myself in a meaningful voice, they don't believe you. They think you're lying. They don't like you as much anymore. They don't respect you as much anymore because of it. This is all going to go wrong again. I can't stop that thought from entering my head all of a sudden. By the time the first sentence is in, the tenth sentence is already out. You know how it goes. You know how downward spirals go and how quick they go. But what I did do and what we can do and what we do have control over is how we react, is how we put it forth. And I'm doing my fucking best, kids, to truly take those, those physiological moments of terror and, and that stress and what have you and just torque, just twist it and focus on the next thing I can control. Focus on the next thing I can do, and the next plan I can make, and the next time I can intervene with my own hands. And that really helped. This advice, it's not uncommon. I said that it's not really given directly to women. I, 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 what I meant by that is tone. What I meant by that is affect. This advice is out there. This advice is uh, very common. But I did want to give it. I did want to I did want to boost up a personal story about mindfulness. And if you're enjoying this performance, although you're probably skipping over this part if you're listening to it again, if you're enjoying this performance, this performance is not just brought to you like normal performances by tips and by ladies coming out and by fans of the, of the Grey Knight. This performance is also 100% brought to you by mindfulness and therapy and positive feedback from you guys that I knew that I knew at the darkest moment from the feedback that you guys have given me over the last three months that no matter how this played out, it would be okay. I got that feedback from you guys because I put myself out there and I earned it. You gave me that feedback because of what it says to you to say it to me. If that sounds really good to you, it feels really good, too. It feels really good to be here. It feels really good to have woken up today. I woke up before the power turned back on. I took a little nap during the outage. And I woke up before it turned on. So I had to wake up and I had to have the mindset of, I don't know what we're going to be able to do today, even. Right? And then the power kicked on sometime after I woke up. I was like, fuck yes. It feels really good to be here right now. So if you think it sounds good, it is. And I encourage you. And there's a way for you to move forward. Your own story in your own head. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But I do know it can change. Wherever and whoever you are, whatever you're telling yourself, I do know that you can change that story. And that you can feel better about yourself. Okay. <clears throat> Hopefully I landed that because it was pretty dark and it went a lot of places. And we're going to go right into... Uh, non-porn reading before we get to the smut. So thank you all again for hearing me out, all the support, all the kind words, everything else. It really does mean a lot. It truly does. And because I, uh, I like to land it on things like that, isn't it crazy that you don't care that I'm crazy? Because I do mean that. I did. I like. I would. I used dark wording at that point, but I did mean that. There's a couple of you out there, at least. Again, large law of large numbers. There's a couple of you out there. Is like he's fucking crazy. 
but you wouldn't turn the dick down. And I think that's fast because the worst thing a man can be is crazy, right? The worst thing a man can be is crazy. I saw, I realized this in like 2009 or so. That's the worst thing a man can be is, 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 is crazy because the number one fear a woman has is a man's going to fucking kill me. A man's going to fucking kill me, right? That's the number one fear. And so <laughs> I, I just want to say I'm honored that you all think I'm so nuts and that you all just give me a pass. I am. I think it's amazing that, like, if someone's like, Grey Knight, I hear he's fucking crazy. You're like, yeah, but he's sexy, though. Yeah, he makes me laugh. Yeah, but he treats the cat pretty okay. Nobody who treats an animal would okay would ever hurt a person. What's your favorite movie? Silence of the Lambs. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I'm learning so many different ways to be quiet. There's how I stand up in the lawn. That's one way. There's also how I stand in the field across from the street. That's another way, because I'm farther from people, and therefore more likely to be alone. There's how I don't answer the phone, and how I sometimes like to lie down on the floor in the kitchen and pretend I'm not home when people knock. There's daytime silence, where I stare, and a nighttime silence when I do things. There's shower silent and bath silent and California silent and Kentucky silent and car silent and then there's the silent that comes back a million times bigger than me. Sneaks into my bones and wails and wails and wails until I can't be quiet anymore. That's how this machine works. Uh, the Quiet Machine. Anonymous. <clears throat> Goodness gracious. <clears throat> Now is the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by this son of York, and all of our clouds that lowered upon this house in the deep bosom of the oceans buried. Now are the brows bound with victorious wreaths, our bruised arms hung up for monuments, our stern alarms changed to merry meetings, our dreadful marches to delightful measure. Grim-visaged war hath smoked and winked front, and now, instead of mounting barb steeds to fight the souls of fearful adversaries, he capers nimbly in a lady's chamber to the levacious pleasings of a lute. 
but I, that I am not shaped for sportive tricks, nor made to court an amorous-looking lass, I, that am rudely stamped, and want love's majesty to strut before a wanton ambling nymph, I, that am curtailed of this fair proportion, cheated of feature by dissembling nature, deformed, unfinished, sent before my time into this breathing word, scarce half made up, and so lamely and unfashionable that dogs bark at me as I halt by them. Why I, in this weak piping time of peace, have no delight to pass away the time, unless to spy my shadow in the sun and descent on mine own deformity. Therefore, since I cannot prove a lover to entertain these farewell-spoken days, I am determined to prove a villain and hate the idle pleasures of these days. Plots I have lain, inductions dangerous by drunken prophecies, libel, and dreams, to set my brother Clarence and the king in deadly hate to one against the other. And if King Edward be as true and just as I am subtle, false, and treacherous, this day should Clarence closed be mewed up. But a prophecy, which has that G of Edward's heirs, the murderer shall be, dive thoughts, dive down to my soul. Here Clarence comes. Uh, Richard the Third. Quick note, super quick note about that one. It's always amused me that people will extol Shakespeare as, as the best writer in the English language. Shakespeare, Shakespeare is the best. And they will often say, like, Disney cartoons are some of the worst storytelling. Right? Disney cartoons are some of the worst. Uh... But Disney cartoons and William Shakespeare both use constantly, well, he's a bad guy. How do you know? Because he's ugly as fuck. All right. On to the next one. <clears throat> my angel. My all. My own self. Only a few words today that that two with pencil, with yours, only till tomorrow is my lodging definitely fixed. What abominable waste of time in such things. Why this deep grief where necessity speaks? Can our love persist otherwise than through sacrifices than by not demanding everything? Canst thou change it that thou art not entirely mine? I not entirely thy. O oh God, look into beautiful nature and compose your mind to the inevitable. Love demands everything and is quite right, and it is so for me with you, for you with me. Only you forget so easily that I must live for you and you 
for me. We were quite united. You would notice this painful feeling as little as I should. We shall probably soon meet even today. I cannot communicate my remarks to you, which during these days I made about my life. Were our hearts close together, I should probably not make any such remarks. My bosom is full, to tell you much. There are moments when I find that speech is nothing at all. Brighten up. Remain my true and only treasure, my all, as I to you. The rest the gods must send what must be for us and shall. You are faithful. Ludwig. Beethoven's letter on July 6th. <clears throat> well, I hope you like that love letter because we got one more here for you. <clears throat> if only I were a clever woman, I could describe you to my gorgeous bird how you unite yourself, the beauties of form, plumage, song. I would tell you that you are the greatest marvel of all ages, and I should only be speaking the simple truth. But to put all this into suitable words, my superb one, I would require a voice far more harmonious. For I am the humble owl that you mocked at only lately, and therefore cannot be. I will not tell you to what degree you are dazzling, and the birds of sweet song who, as you know, are nonetheless beautiful and appreciative. I am content to delegate to them the duty of watching, listening, and admiring, while to myself I reserve the right of loving. This may be less attractive to the ear, but it is sweeter, fair to the heart. I love you. I love you. My Victor, I cannot reiterate it too often. I can never express it as much as I feel it. I recognize you in all the beauty that surrounds me in form, in color, in perfume, in harmonious sound. All these mean you to me. You are superior to all. I see and admire. You are all. You are not only the solar spectrum of several luminous colors, but the sun himself, the illuminous, warms and revivifies. This is what you are, and I am the woman who adores you. Juliet Drouin to Victory Hugo. One last spoken word piece, and then we're on to hope everyone's having a good show. hope everyone's having a good weekend. This one, I think, was uh, put in just to tease me a little bit. Just to have a little fun with the old man. We'll see. <clears throat> we'll see if I can do this. In nature, molecules are chiral. They turn in one direction or another. Naturally, then, someone wounded might sugar, built to mirror itself, 
be sweet, but pass through the body unnoticed. A dieter's gold mine. I don't know why the experiment failed or how. I think of the loneliness of that man-made substance, like a ghost in the 1950s movie you could pass your hand through, or some suitor always rejected despite the sparkle of his cubic zirconia ring. Yet this sugar is real, and somewhere exists, and looks for a left-handed tongue. Well, I was wrong. That was lovely. Left-Handed Sugar by Jane Hirschfield. And that was very, very lovely. I, uh, I'll, I, uh, I won't lie. I, 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 when I pull these up, I don't read them. I read everything cold. Um, but I do look at the first sentence or two to figure out if it's poetry or if it's spoken word or, or yada yada so I can place it in the show. Uh, so I just read the first line. And I, so all I read was, the nature, molecules are chiral. And I thought, well, here's me reading the phone book. I, 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 I kept tempting fate. Here it is. I'm going to read a little bit from a, from a chemistry textbook. Here we go. And I'm not good with big words that have Greek roots. All right, guys, tip me. Tip me, tip me, tip me, because I know you're having a great time. Yeah, because there was only one. It was chiral. And I'll be honest with you. I think I, I don't even know if I spelled, if I did that word right, because I've never pronounced that word out loud. I don't really know what it is in context. Chiral, C-H-I-R-A-L. I'm going to assume that I pronounced it correctly, though, because of Chiron. I know what a Chiron is, and therefore, I just winged it. Does anybody know what a Chiron is? Anybody Chirons? Because I don't know what the word Chiron means, but I know what it is, as we prepare, as you guys did. Uh, a Chiron is the terminology that they used for these scrolling pieces of news that appeared at the bottom of a broadcast that ran over the news broadcast in commercials, especially right after 9-11. Right after 9-11 in America, there were these kind of ticker tades beneath the... Uh, that would just broadcast news even over commercials. These, this bottom, I don't know, 10%, 15% of the screen would be devoted to these sometimes two, sometimes three lines of news that would be scrolling across all the time, and they were called chirons. And so I assumed that I assumed that this chi, that this chi is a base, the Greek or Latin meaning for read or verbal or to display or something like that. And so that's why I did it with your little chemistry word that I don't know, because it's got the same base, and it seems like it has the same kind of meaning. And that's how a dyslexic learns to fake shit. If you ever wondered, like, how does somebody who's heavily dyslexic, like, how do they do this, especially if they have to read out loud for a while, this is, this is how. This is how you fake it. Especially if you had an awful, awful teacher in the fourth grade that you can never, ever forget and sometimes still have nightmares about and think that she's behind you and you still think that she's two feet taller than you even though you're clearly a foot and a half taller than her at this point. And she's still going and she's still saying, It's pronounced arthritis. Don't you know the word arthritis? I want you to think about a heavily dyslexic... Uh nutritionally malnourished, physically sick, emotionally abused child 
looking at the word arthritis and trying to say it so that it pronounced that reaction because <laughs> it happened. And from that day forward, I went home that day. And when my dad abused me <laughs> that day, <laughs> when my dad got home drunk and forced me to tell him what I did that day at school, and then he gave me my punishment of handing me the dictionary. This is a true story. The full-size adult dictionary from the 1930s. Why do I talk why do I talk like a flapper girl sometimes, you wonder? When he handed me the dictionary from the 1930s as my punishment, where I had to read five words, and then I had to define the five words for him from memory, and then I had to look up any words that I did not know that were in the definition of those five words. For the first time ever, when I got that punishment and I opened up my dictionary, I looked up how to pronounce words, the, uh, the pronunciation guide. I, I always just kind of skipped over the parentheses and the how to pronounce up until that day. And that day taught me to just go ahead and look over all of those pronunciations super, super carefully and to figure out the basis of words and to figure out how to pronounce certain letters in certain ways. And here's an amazing thing about a 1930s dictionary. It's extremely good at teaching you how to do that. Uh, modern dictionaries, they don't really have like, like, like origin of word, like this is Greek, or this is from the 1820s or whatever. Old dictionaries had that, and that's the first thing they had. Before the definition, which is what you were there for, they would have from the Latin of uh, yada, 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 and then they would have the pronunciation guide, and then they would have the definition. That's how it worked. Uh, yeah. I, I think I was going to try and land that because that was horrible. Uh, and I was just kind of learning about myself. But, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think I particularly, I was just going through it because I'm kind of proud. This is me sober too. A lot of you might be wondering at this point, especially since I've gotten off on so many rails, how fucking stoned is he right now? This is sober. This is sober and uncaffeinated. So, sorry for that. I, we got off on this whole thing because I kind of pronounced the word Chiron, but not Chiron properly, right? Ooh, apologies. I was going to try and turn that all into a joke about a dictionary and, the, and, and Monsters, Inc., but it's just not happening. And I'm sorry for that, so we're just going to move on. When I think about that woman, she's the, she's the woman from Monsters. She's the monster from Monsters, Inc. <laughs> With the glasses. <laughs> She's probably dead by now. But if she isn't, there's no chance that she'd recognize me. And if I pushed her over, she would for sure die. Right? She's at that age. If I pushed her over, she would for sure die. I call it geriatric tipping. But how many times have you ever... How many times have you ever heard a story about a guy in sunglasses and a hoodie pushing over an elderly person and them dying? How many times have you ever heard that news story? And the answer is never. How many times has it happened? Billions. Billions. Just no one gives a shit to report on it. Billions. People are geezer tipping all the time. Some old person gives you shit. 
like about your weight or something, some old person thinks the old's going to protect them, you knock them on their ass, and if they live, they deserve it. If they die, you can feel about bad about it later, all right? I watched, I watched a fat guy shove an old person at a bus stop. Here's how I'll tell the joke before we move into the porn. I watched a fat guy, a really, a really fat guy, shove an old person at a bus stop. Here's the entire encounter. They may have known each other. I don't know. I've got a lot of bus stories today. <laughs> I was at the bus stop. A very, very large man came walking up. An old person looked at them, looked back at the old person that they were with like, huh, huh, huh? Then the old person turned back to the fat guy and said, how big are you going to get? The big person, who had just stopped walking at this point, walked right over to the old person, put his hand on their chest, shoved them backwards, and said, How old are you going to get? And that was that. <laughs> It wasn't it wasn't a shove that could kill them. But it was a shove that said, I could fucking know. I could fucking know. I fucking could though, couldn't I? <laughs> Alright. And into the smut. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> Hold this. He says, placing the blade between my lips. I look up at him, eyes wide, questioning. Might down. It's almost a whisper he says it so softly, but I know that tone. It might sound soft and gentle, but the truth is anything but that. I close my teeth on the metal, and he lets go of the handle. Don't you dare drop it. He warns, I don't want it buried in my foot, or yours, for that matter. If you drop it, you will definitely regret it. You won't drop it, will you? He continues, will you? He prompts again as he unbuttons my blouse. Cat's got your tongue, slut. He's taunting me now, a smile on his lips as he pushes my blouse aside and reaches into my bra, pulling one of my breasts free from the black material. I can feel the drool pooling under my tongues and just starting to gather in front of the corner of my mouth. I try to swallow it back, but as I do, the blade pushes into the edge of my mouth. He finds my nipple with my thumb, with his thumb, and eyes are watching intently as he slowly but surely starts to apply pressure and then twist and tug. I find myself biting down even harder on the knife, trying to control the moan that he wants to escape my lips. He reaches for my other breast. Both nipples are now trapped between his fingers. I push out my chest, almost rising up on the balls 
of my feet, trying to push myself into his hands and relieve the pressure. A little droplet of saliva runs down my chin. What's this? He asks, capturing it on one of his fingers and showing it to me. You seem to be a little damp slut. I wonder. But he doesn't finish the sentence. Instead, he reaches down and lifts the front of my skirt, pulls my knickers to one side, and dips a finger into the folds of my cunt. More than damp, he whispers into my ear as he leans into my body and presses his fingers deeper into my cunt. Absolutely dripping in and then he is wiping the juices on my face, down my cheek, and across the top of my lip. Can you smell yourself? All the questions make me wet and want to roar at him, but all I can do is give a low moan which turns into a little snarl as he laughs at me. Something about that snarl, that look in my eyes, which I know burn bright, flick a switch in him, and he pins me in my back against the wall, forcing my legs apart with his, and he buries his hands back between my thighs, pushing first one, then two fingers deep inside me. My jaw is aching now, and the knife feels so heavy in my mouth, the handle end keeps dropping down slightly, and as I try to relax my muscles, and then bite down again, I will not let him win. I will not drop it. He hooks his fingers inside the rubbing at the front wall of my cunt, and I instinctively rock my hips in response. I want to touch my clit. I want to touch my clit. The drool runs down my chin, and I bite down even harder onto the metal of the knife. I reach under my skirt and push my hand down the front of my knickers, seeking out my clit, but just as I manage to locate it, he is tugging the knife from between my mouth. Not yet. He growls at me, and he pulls me over the bed and bends me over it. He is hurrying now, his actions urgent and determined. No more taunting, just need and want. Lifting my skirt, he grabs at my panties and slides his wet blade between them, the skin and ass, and then with one swift movement, he slices them open. His other hand reaches for his fly, and then he is guiding his cock into me. My remnants of knickers hang from my waist, my skirt pulled up, my blouse open, and my tits escaping from my bra. I look to the side in the mirror, and I see her, disheveled and wanton. I see me, dirty little slut. He mutters as he notices me looking at myself. He drags my blouse over my back and draws the sharp blade down my back, leaving a bright red fiery welt across my skin. I reach down between my legs and he fucks himself into my cunt as I rub my clit. He continues to decorate my flesh with the more knife marks that burn across my back until my orgasm breaks and I come in a series of tight, throbbing spasms around him. With a groan, he discards the knife and grabs my hips, driving his dick harder and deeper into the heat of my body as his own in the search of his own climax. The knife lays discarded on the bed beside us. 
The marks it has left on my back throb against the cool of the sheets, and my jaw feels tight where I have gritted my teeth for so long. I reach for the knife and pass it to him. I didn't drop it, I say proudly. Not this time, he replies. Don't You Dare Drop It by Molly Moore. That was fantastic. I agree with Serena. We could use more like that. Uh-oh. Daddy may have fucked up. It's a good thing Daddy actually went long when talking about himself today, because Daddy may have fucked up and moved a couple things in the wrong places, because this is not a long porn piece. Here we go. We're just going to read it and see where it gets us. <clears throat> We've been arguing more than we ought to about things neither of us remember or care about because that's how we avoid the bigger questions. Instead of asking why we don't say I love you to one another as often as we used to, we fight about things like who was supposed to get up and turn the lights off first, or who was supposed to pop the frozen pizza in the oven after work, taking hits at the most vulnerable parts of one another. We're like fingers on thorns, honey. We know exactly where it hurts. And everything is on the table tonight. Like that one time you whispered a name I'm pretty sure wasn't mine in your sleep, or last week when you said you were working late, so I called work, but they said you already left a couple of hours ago. Where were you for those couple of hours? I know. I know. Your excuses make all the sense in the world, and I get a little too carried away for no good reason and eventually begin crying. But what else do you expect, baby? I love you so much. I'm sorry I thought you were lying. And that's when you hold your head in your hands in frustration, half begging me to stop, half tired and sick of it. The toxin in our mouths has burnt holes in our cheeks. We look less alive than we used to, less color in our faces. But don't kid yourselves. No matter how bad it gets, we both know you still want to nail me into the ground. Especially when I'm screaming so loud or fighting wakes the neighbors and they come running to the door to save us. Baby, don't open it. Instead, lie me down. Let me open like a map, and with your fingers trace the places you still want to fuck out of me. Kiss me like I am the center point of gravity, and you are falling into me like a soul. It is the focal point of yours. And when your mouth is kissing, not my mouth, but other places, my legs will split apart out of habit, and that's when I pull you in. Welcome you home, when the entire street is looking out their windows wondering what all the commotion is and the fire trucks come rolling in to save us, but they can't distinguish whether these flames began with our anger or our passions. I will smile, throw my head back, arch my body like a mountain you want to split in half. Baby, lick me, like your mouth has the gift of reading and I'm your favorite book. Find your favorite page in the soft spot between the legs and read it carefully carefully, fluently, vividly. Don't you dare leave a single word untouched, and I swear my ending will be so good. The last few words will come running to your mouth, and when you're done, take a seat. 
because it's my turn to make music with my knees pressed to the ground. Sweet baby, this is how we pull language out of one another with the flick of our tongues. This is how we have the conversation. This is how we make up. How We Make Up by Rupi Kwa. <clears throat> okay, that means this is our last piece, and it's not the longest piece in the world. So if you were saving your tip at the very end of the show, now is the time to go ahead and drop it into my bucket as I read to you the last little piece of the day. Thank you to everybody who came out today. Thank you to everybody who made this tip show possible. Thank you to everybody who gave me your faith, your enjoyment, your energy, and just a little bit of your time. I do appreciate it and you very much. I talked about mental health and I talked about a lot of scary things this uh, particular show, but I hope you can hear in my voice and in my attitude and see in my actions, I feel on top of it too. And if you are going to take anything away from this, especially if you skipped through large portions of it, know that I appreciate you very much, that you have had a good feeling and a good empowering, a bolstering effect on me, I think. I think you've made me a better man. You do. And uh, if we're going to relate it to the last thing I just read, I think I look and feel and act more alive because of you, much more so than when I first met you. Thank you for being a fan. Thank you for believing me. Thank you for making these shows so fucking fun. Because even when I talk about the serious stuff and when there's aggravations and even when there are logistical difficulties, I love doing this. That's why I'm scheduling myself for more and more and trying to put on a more and bigger show every time. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you all very, very much. And let's read this last piece. <clears throat> I wasn't a morning person, so I was rarely awake before him. For some reason, though, I found myself staring at his slumbering form as I lay beside him. In the early morning light, his face was relaxed and peaceful, a slight smile playing on his lips. The urge to touch him was overwhelming. Well, touch him more than I already was, with my body pressed along the length of his, my tits crushed against his chest, and one leg draped over his. But I didn't want to disturb him, so I stayed as still as possible, silently admiring his eyelashes. He murmured something unintelligible in his sleep, and I realized that he must have what, what woke me. He was dreaming something good by the sound in his broadening smile. And then he said something I did understand. My name. Delighted that he was dreaming about me, I couldn't stop the stupid grin from spreading across my face. It was only fair, after all, since I spent most of my nocturnal meanderings thinking about him and his wicked ways. My curiosity went into overdrive, wondering what was going on in his mind. I was undoubtedly doing something extremely flirty. Hmm. That made two of us. A delicious ache lingered between my legs from the night before, but I felt my ever-present desire for him flaring 
to life once again. I was tempted to writhe against him and press my needy sex into his lap. That would probably wake him, though I wanted to hear what else he'd reveal in his sleep. I need you. Yeah, I needed him too. I tried not to. I really did, because the situation was complicated. But I just couldn't resist him. I never felt more alive than I did when I was with him. We fed off each other, inspired each other. It was gratifying to know he felt the same way. I love you. My heart stopped for a couple of beats, then picked back up in triple time. I loved him from almost the beginning, but I didn't dare tell him. I thought he'd freak out and run for the hills, so I kept it casual. He'd done a really good job of making me think I was nothing more than his naughty plaything. Not that I minded. At all. Actually, I loved it. I never had any expectations about our relationship. Having him in a limited fashion was better than not having him at all. However, this revelation put a much different spin on things. A frown suddenly formed on his face and he pulled me closer with the arm I'd been resting on my head. Don't leave me. Not caring if I woke me more, I pressed my mouth to his ear. I'm not going anywhere. He sighed contentedly, but didn't loosen his hold. Trailing my lips along his jawline, I enjoyed the prickly feel of his morning stubble on my flesh. I kissed my way down his neck and chest to his other small flat nipple. I circled it with my tongue and lightly sucked the tender nub. Groaning, he slid his fingers into my hair and gripped a handful, lightly tugging on it, just how he knew I liked it. That subtle gesture of control really turned me on. I swear it reverberated throughout my entire body, the sensation finally concentrating in my cunt, making my inner muscles tighten wonderfully. To give his other nipples the same loving attention, I shifted to the top of him, straddling his hips, my arms braced on either side of his chest, his already hard length pressing against my shaved pussy. I couldn't resist his rocking hips, sliding my slick folds along his cock as I gently raked my teeth over his nipple. He hissed out of breath, and his grip on my hair tightened. Fuck. I was pretty sure he was awake at this point. When I looked up, I found his brilliant blue eyes staring back at me. What are you doing, naughty girl? Hopefully making your dirty dream come true. His lips slowly spread into a wicked grin, and he loosened his grip. By all means, don't let me stop you. With the seal of approval, I teased his nipples a little more before kissing my way down to his groin, situating myself between his spread legs. For a moment, I nuzzled the crinkly hair there, breathing in his heavenly, musky scent. He sucked in a breath when I licked up the length of his cock, but kept a light hold on my hair. As I took the head of his cock in my mouth, I looked up and met his hungry gaze. While we watched, I softly sucked the tip, my tongue massaging the sensitive spot just underneath. I tasted my own tangy essence on him and took my time in savoring it. Good girl, he moaned. Those two words lit me up in every way. Yes, I had a long history of being a good girl. Growing up, I was usually teacher's pet, but with him, it took on a completely 
different connotation that I thrived on. I was his good girl when I pleased him, when I'd been there, his filthy fucking cum slut, and I totally got off on it. His pleasure was my pleasure, especially when it involved something dirty. I sucked him in deep into my mouth until he nudged the way back to my throat, making me gag a bit, fighting the sensation for a moment. I held him there, drooling all over his conk. You're such a sweet little cock whore. The nasty names were an accelerant on my burning arousal. It didn't have anything to do with humiliation. I loved being his bad girl, and he knew I appreciated how naughty I could be for him. Only him. I was so fucking horny, I pressed my thighs together to relieve the tiny ache in my cunt. My weight braced on my hand. I used the other to fondle his balls while I established a steady rhythm of moving my mouth up and down his shaft. He carried a little litany of dirty compliments as I sucked him off in long strokes. At some point, I noticed my hips rocking in time with my sucking motion, trying to give myself a friction I desperately craved. Not missing a thing, he said. Get that horny slut cut off while you suck my cock. Whimpering in gratitude, I released his balls and slipped my hand between my legs. I easily found my swollen foot between my drenched cunt lips and circled it hard and fast. It didn't take long before I was on the knife's edge of orgasm. Bobbing on his dick became a little erratic as he got closer and closer. Moaning around his cock, I came on my fingers, shuddering in release. That must have been too much for him, because he followed into the sweet oblivion, filling my mouth with his thick, salty cum. Still trembling with pressure, I swallowed it all like the greedy cum slut I was, lapping up every stray drop. After several minutes, he pulled me up, so I was sprawled alongside of him again. He took my head between his hand and gave me a possessive kiss that stole what little breath I had left. Apparently, he didn't mind tasting himself on my tongue. When he eventually pulled back, his gaze was ardent. I love you. It was even sweeter hearing it while he was wide awake. So I heard, you've been talking in your sleep. He frowned. Oh. I smiled. <laughs> yeah. You revealed all your secrets. Is that so? <laughs> so I guess I owe you one. He raised an eyebrow. Only one. It's a good one. Tell me. I love you too. Always have. Always will. Grinning, he pulled me down for another fierce kiss. And after he released it, oh, so much more. Talking in Your Sleep by Rhea Restrepo. Restrepo is what I'm going to go with. Rita Rhea Restrepo. Guys, that's the show. 90 minutes almost on the dot. We didn't do quick quotes. 
If you want to do quick quotes, come to a gaming stream sometime, I guess. Uh, we'll do them next time. I'm sorry. Uh, we, 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 I mostly wanted to talk about myself. Not that that's ever different than what we always do here. But I wanted to talk about myself today uh, instead of the quick quotes. We got through. We got ended right there. Guys, I'm going to need more of you to come out for the next live show. If you're listening to this and you had a great time, and you must have if you listen to it to this point, think of the porn that I could read for you. Think of the poetry and the written pieces. Think about how much more excited I'll be to see you and your friends when you come right on out. I want to see you at the next tip show. You can find out more at graynightgerotica.com. Hitting that live stream button will tell you when there is the next gaming stream, the next patron stream, Lord willing and electricity able, uh, and the next tip show, of course, all available there. I want to see you at one. This is my favorite thing to do. This is my favorite part. I get to come in here. I get to come in relaxed. I get to come in excited for a group of amazing and wonderful ladies who have picked out what they want me to read for them. And it's always fun, and it's always interesting. I am sorry that today's show, I'm not sorry, today's show was self-involved and involved some mental health stuff and what have you. But don't think that I didn't have an amazing time. Don't think that the girls who came out didn't have an amazing time. And don't think that you won't either. I want to see you at the next live show. I know you miss me when the podcast is on hiatus. I know you want to thank me for things like bonus episodes and how well I've been doing. It's the best way to do it. Thank you again to every single person who did a request, who made a request, who tipped, who came out, who told anybody about it, who reblogged on social media. All of you make the show possible, are growing the show, are making more and more people with more and more requests show up all the time. We're going to have to make the standard show a two-hour show at this rate and move on to, you know, extra-large shows being two and a half, three hours. We're moving in that direction, and we're doing it all because of you. Because, again, I just show up and read what you guys have for me. So thank you very, very much. Come onto the server sometime, say hello, and it won't be so scary when it's an actual show day. Guys, that's it. That's as hard as I can fucking pitch myself. I pitched the shit out of myself today. Not just the show or the project, but like me as a person. Like, listen, oh, this is me. I'm really as a person. I'm amazing. Like, I really pitched myself. This is as much as I can do. So you got to take some of this energy and you got to apply it to yourself and your own little life. You got to go out for the rest of this weekend. You have to go out for the rest of all next week. And you got to think about how awesome you are and how amazing you are and how you're going to overcome every single problem that steps up your way, just like you've solved every other problem so far. You guys empower me to do it, and so I want to send it right back to you. Thank you again for everybody coming out. Really do appreciate it and you. 